Hello, kindred spirits, and welcome to Modcast, the podcast of the L.M. Montgomery Institute, broadcasting from the beautiful campus of the University of Prince Edward Island. We're so glad you've tuned in. This is Modcast Season 1, Episode 8. I'm your host, Dr. Brenton Dickinson. In our quest to discover cutting-edge scholarship about the life and works of Lucy Ma Montgomery and join imaginative readers throughout the world, we welcome to the microphone our special guest, Rachel Dodge. Rachel Dodge is the author of Praying with Jane, 31 Days Through the Prayers of Jane Austen, and of particular interest to Modcast listeners, the Anne of Green Gables devotional, a chapter-by-chapter companion for kindred spirits, published in 2020 by Barber. She teaches college English classes, gives talks at libraries, teas, and book clubs, and is a writer for the popular Jane Austen's World blog and Regency World magazine. Rachel is an instructor for the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at Sierra College, where she teaches literature seminars on authors such as Jane Austen, Ella Montgomery, and Charlotte Bronte. A kindred spirit at heart, Rachel enjoys books, bonnets, and ball gowns and makes her home in California. Rachel, welcome to the Modcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you here. So Modcast listeners are avid readers, so we hear this uh, from podcast listeners all the time. We like to talk about the books that are not just sort of on our work desk, but also that are at our bedside tables or next to our comfy chairs. So right now I'm reading the Among the Shadows collection by Montgomery. It's a series of sort of spooky or darker short stories. It's not really quite as strong as the Chronicles of Avonlea collection or like the Golden Road, which I'm reading right now but uh, but it's not bad it's got some really interesting things and it's got characters from an angle we we don't see before i'm also reading just finishing up the harry potter series and reading tony morrison's little short book uh, of lectures called playing in the dark uh, rachel what are you reading these days oh i had a great december because i read a bunch of christmas chapters from all my favorite books so i went mm-hmm. through the Christmas chapters from Little Women. I went through all the Christmas chapters in the Little House series, and there's a Christmas chapter in every book. Um, I read a few Christmas novellas, and then I read uh, Christmas with Anne, the collection mm. of Christmas stories from Montgomery's writings. And it was wonderful to go through all of those and just get that Christmas spirit going with my you know, literary interests. Um, and then I, for Christmas, I got a new book called Caroline by Sarah Miller. And it is a fictional, very well-researched story of Caroline Ingalls, who was Laura Ingalls Wilder's mother. So it kind of gives us like her angle on the story. And so far, it's fantastic. I'm a few chapters in. It's great. Oh, really interesting. That's I've never I've never heard about that. And is it like a novelized uh, version, or is it yeah. like straight history? Yeah, yeah, it's a novelized uh, version of her kind of her perspective. But the the I read a bit about it, and the research is just impeccable i guess she just put a ton of work into it so i'm really excited because i grew up with those books as well yeah well i've, I've heard that uh, this is becoming a real trend i've heard it can be quite compelling when it's really well researched so i just read uh becoming mrs lewis about joy davidman <gasps> yes i have that book <laughs> yeah yeah and so i was actually surprised i was surprised how much i liked it although I had built up a character in my mind and I wasn't sure that the character of history in my mind matches the one that the storyteller is presenting to the world. Right. So there can be that gap. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I think we we go into those kind of books a little bit with a little bit of trepidation, thinking, okay, am I going to like this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, will it live up to my ideas? Well, I think that's always a, a challenge with any sort of interpretation or adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you actually come from a world of ceaseless adaptation. So Jane Austen, I think, <laughs> I, I believe, I believe that's you did your MA thesis on Pride and Prejudice. I did. Right? I yeah. did. Yeah. And uh, and and we and some of the adaptations I love of Jane Austen. Some of them I'm I'm not such a huge fan. I'm I'm a fan of her writing, um, and mm-hmm. I love some of the. Uh, <laughs> some of the movies that have come out of it and TV series have come out of it. So what uh, is, is there one for you that you find that's particularly strong in the Jane Austen world? One of those adaptations that you like? Uh, the film adaptations or the spin-off fan uh, fiction uh, stuff. <laughs> that's right. I did read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, by the way. So I, I Oh I, yes. I, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those. I would say I'm probably more into the film adaptations. Yes, so right. I mean I love the the longer uh, Colin Firth and Jennifer Eel version of Pride and Prejudice from 1995. I watched that until my, you know, videotapes fell apart. And then I got the DVDs until they were torn apart. And now I have it, you know, a digital copy of it because I just put it on repeat. I think it's, mm. it does a great job of, you know, you have to, it takes six hours, but I mean, it's a whole novel. So it's great. That's yeah, true. It takes a lot longer to read the novel. So yeah, I actually can't, I think I, I think it was the Kira Knightley version of, of Lizzie that won me over to be, to be fair. So, but I didn't, I, that's what yeah. I saw first. So I think that has something to do with that. Definitely. Um, yeah. Besides the fact that both, and I and thinking of adaptations, I suppose the Kevin Sullivan, um, Anne of Green Gables, and sequel adaptations mm-hmm. were the ones that I grew up with, and so they were the ones yeah. that kind of became my standard bearer in my mind. I Me think. too. Yeah, yeah, we actually had the tapes. Uh, my grandmother had taped them off TV, and it had like the same Maytag commercials. So every time we watched yes. like watch through Anne, it would be those same commercials over and over again. So yeah. uh, which I don't know what else it could be, but uh, yeah, we passed those tapes around until they worn out. Uh, we actually uh, I think left them in Japan when we were, when we when we were living there and we moved away. We we left those for for people in Japan. So that's a nice gift. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I think we can get them on DVD now, so I think we're okay. Right. <laughs> So what's okay? So besides, I mean, they're obviously both women writers, uh, both mm-hmm. feature women character leads in many cases. What what was the move for you going from Jane Austen to um, to Ellen Montgomery? So, well, I'll say personally, my move was probably from Anne first because I grew up with Anne, and then you know, in high school, got into Austen, and that has been a big part of my, I guess you could say, my scholarly work or my. Um, professional work, you know, speaking and writing about Austin. And so um, my first book was based on her prayers, which was just a wonderful connection between her faith and uh, devotional life and her novels. Uh, And then when I was done with that book, I had been talking about, you know, just throwing around some ideas. And I just said, you know, if I could write one other book based on a classic novel or an author. It has to be Anna Green Gables. I mean, that's the book I grew up with. Um, And for me, the connection between the two has always been um, just how relatable the characters are. Both of these wonderful women authors are just able to capture people so realistically and you know their the characters the relationships the even the emotions that people feel um and i i think their books are so readable and rereadable if that makes sense i mean 
so many Austin fans and Montgomery fans. It's the one thing we have in common is, oh, we read the books over and over and we never get tired of them. And, um, you know, they both women, just their understanding of human nature, their use of language, that even the wit and humor that comes across. It's for me, it's just it's so enjoyable. So, yeah. Um, you know, so many common themes with family and love and misunderstandings and marriages and engagements. And, you know, so much of it to me just kind of jumps off the page. I can just step into that world of Austin and Montgomery so easily. Right, right. Well, at the risk of being irreverent, I, I actually quite like the ministers in both novelists' works, which are really usually kind Ooh. of funny. Right now, yes. not, you know, not Mr. Allen. Mr. Allen's not funny. Um, he's actually, they're quite endearing, Mr. and Mrs. Allen and Andrew mm -hmm. are in... Um, and I in in a couple of books that follow, but um, you know, like you know, in Pride and Prejudice, right? Uh, yes, it's just a brilliant character development, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's, um, I think it's in Rainbow Valley, the uh, Meredith Reverend Meredith has this kind of, he's so heavenly bound that he's no earthly good. He's just locked yes. in the cloud. Yes. So uh, yeah, so I think I actually that could be a study in its own, right? Those characters right. using humor. Um, in a character that I think most people would, at, at the times that the books came out would want to kind of say, oh, well, we know what this character is going to be. He's just popped up. He's got a collar on. Right. Both oh, yeah. Turn it upside down, right? So. Well, in Austin and Montgomery, we're both surrounded by quite a few different reverends and yeah, <laughs> ministers. Right. So they, they yeah. had firsthand knowledge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Both ministry families, I think, right? Uh, in, some, in some connection. So. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I just love that their ability to use humor to point out those fallible moments and those foibles. It's just so fun that they both can do that. You can be crying one moment through Montgomery and the next moment. You have to read the line out loud because it's just so funny. Yeah, that's right. It's, and, uh, and now Austin too. Mr. Collins. Austin right. too, that's yeah. Right. That's great. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, and, and maybe it was the Mr. Collins um, picture in that. Kira Knightley film that that also kind of got me. He's just so terrible. He's just so good, right? Um, oh yeah, <laughs> these potatoes, right? Anyway, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave those. That we've made the link, um, Austin and Montgomery, and I think we could talk more to uh, something. There's an energy to those protagonists as well. Mm. Um, you uh, before we get into the text of this, the Anne of Green Gables devotional, and I think for those listeners, there is a sort of a um, a Kindle preview that's pretty good that gives you a sense of this. But what I want to, I'm struck with, Rachel, is this is a really beautifully designed book. It's got quite a number, a dozen or two uh, little paintings in it uh, mm -hmm. of character scenes that uh, give it kind of a new energy that actually, these are these are new pictures. These aren't, I, mm -hmm. I they aren't gathered from somewhere else, right? Uh, right. As well as the cover design, the, the devotional is laid out with a little bit of a kind of a background piece and then a personal application, some prayer and questions uh, and uh, with some resources at the beginning and end. So can you tell me a little bit about that design vision, the artistic vision for, for this? Because this, this kind of lands pretty well that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say working with Barber books on this devotional, I mean, it, it was beyond my expectations. Um, and so when I had started writing the book and we'd signed contracts and all that, but then, my editor came to me a month or two later and said, you know, we're looking at maybe, maybe having someone illustrate some original artwork. And I was told maybe we'll get, you know, 10, but make me a list of 
you know, the moments that would have to be in this book, you know, those perfect and moments, those kind of um, iconic moments throughout the novel. And so I had the great joy of making a list of my favorite moments and ended up having far more than 10. I think there's, I think there's 18 that we came with up, they right. came up with. Um, and those are the illustrations are full color. The, the cover is just beautifully bound. Um, they added so many lovely details. It's a very inviting book. And um, the illustrations were done by Jana Christie, who is has done a lot of illustrations for children's books and middle grade books. And when I first saw some of the you know, illustrations when, when they were sent to me, I was really, really impressed by how well she captured, you know, Anne and the other characters. Mm. One of the things I actually like too, Rachel, is that she, she doesn't have Anne looking at the sort of the camera at the audience for the first mm -hmm. few pictures. So the, 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 you get to, if you're reading it with the Anna Green Gables novel, that's not illustrated. You get to actually make your own picture of Anne before yes. you get to see her interpretation. That's one of the challenges with book covers, right? Is that it is, yeah. And actually, that was I. You know, as as the author, you don't get a ton of say in these types of things. But I am thankful that they did ask, you know, for my input. And that was one of the things I said on the cover. I just said I think it would be great if she was maybe like walking away, or we didn't just didn't have that face that first moment where we see Anne on the cover. I don't know why, but I just had this feeling like it's going to be more inviting. And so for listeners on the cover, there's um, a painting of a green Gables and Anne is sort of walking toward it away from us. And it's springtime at green Gables. And I just love that. Cause I think it makes us want to step right into Anne's world. Yeah. Even the way she's got her hands clasped, like sometimes Anne has her hands clasped in front of her as in her joy or this wonder that she walks mm. around with. In this case, it's clasped behind her, a little bit of hesitation, kind of, uh, uh, but obviously looking towards the Green Gables house, this kind of hope. There's the, you know, we know how the encounter goes, the, the first mm -hmm. meeting, that the house becomes a character in the novels as well. So I think, yes. I think that was well done. It was, it was a well-chosen, um, I think it was a well-chosen design. So congratulations there. That worked well Thank between you. author and publisher and, and artist, Janet Christie. Yeah. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. Okay, well, let's let's go into a little bit of the text, and then I'm going to go away for a bit and come back, okay? So your text actually been drifting through our household for a couple of weeks now, and my wife and I were both <laughs> struck by those background pieces. They were well-written, Rachel, and, and usually, what, a page or two where you set up a question, or maybe it's a point of growth for Anne or some other mm -hmm. kind of event that's happened. Was there a particular moment, as, as you approach this book in a different way, so now I'm going to read Anna Green Gables and, and move it out to others. Was there a particular moment of discovery that struck you, something that you connected with? Yeah, I would say one of the most memorable moments for me when I was writing the book was there's a scene at the end of chapter three of Anna Green Gables when, you know, Anna's come to Green Gables. She's now discovered that they don't want her because she's not a boy and she's heartbroken. They put her to bed up in the East Gable and she cries herself to sleep. Um, and But the moment for me that was so inspiring and touching was when I realized that while she's crying herself to sleep upstairs, she doesn't know that there's a conversation going on downstairs between mm -hmm. Matthew and Marilla that will change the course of her life. And so, you know, we as readers get that glimpse. We get to see what Anne doesn't know that, um, you know, Matthew doesn't want to send her back. He mm -hmm. likes her. He wants to keep her. 
you know, that carriage ride, the buggy ride back from the train station, she kind of stole his heart, right? And he's already thinking, hmm, do we have to send her back? Um, and so I was able to just make that connection that, you know, while Anne was sleeping and Marilla's making plans to take Anne back, Marilla, I mean, Matthew kind of put his foot down and, you know, Marilla says, no. And Matthew just stubbornly says, yes. <laughs> um, and that, that iconic line, you know, when Marilla says, well, you know, what good would she be to us? And Matthew answered, we might be some good to her. Yeah. And that was that kind of, that clicked for me, that moment, just realizing that there's sometimes we're going through really hard things in our lives and we have no idea what's going on in the background. And so that connection point in terms of faith even can be, you know, that sometimes God is working in mysterious ways and we don't see it for a while and it could take a while before things unfold. Um, but that picture of Matthew really just standing firm for her was, was a really sweet moment. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Actually, I think that moment turns everything Mm -hmm. uh, upside down for the whole for this whole family and and they really go from i think viewing the, the home child as this distant character to something like even even i suppose not having her stay in the um in the kitchen on the couch i think you know that, right that you get the gable room these, yeah. these gable room i suppose instead of the kitchen couch that that sort of transformation i think is really essential i i, I they clearly didn't know what they were getting into and i but mm -hmm. I, I think everybody's glad that they didn't know like that they didn't wait until they had found out how old could they get you know before right. they discovered right yeah yeah no it's i think that that turns everything on its head and i think that's one of the subtle things that montgomery does um, is is tweaks the expectations for us and kind of twists yeah. a little bit so that our own our own lens has to change we have to view things just a wee bit differently too right so mm -hmm. um yeah it's probably, so i think the realist transformation is supposed to be ours maybe is that a fair way of putting it i think so yeah yeah i mm -hmm. think that's fair yeah, that's right. And I mean, you talked about sort of God working in mysterious ways. I mean, I, I rarely hear people talk about how this novel ends, the last words of Anne of Green Gables, which is a quotation, a poetic quotation, not a biblical one. God's in his heaven and all's right with the world, right? So this that's is right. uh, an affirmation of that that providence. I think providence is the word mm -hmm. that Montgomery would use too, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, was there a particular, was there a scene or anything that kind of challenged you, something that you had to struggle to, to find words for or to, to fight through mm -hmm. yourself? Yeah, there were two moments. Uh, writing about the haunted wood, I think it's it's one of the shortest chapters in the book. And I'm going, what do I write about? I could write about fear, I guess, but it seemed a little too, you know, on the nose. Yeah. Um, and in that, that chapter, I actually ended up writing about um, how Anne realizes that it's been the one year anniversary since she came to Green Gables. And she's, you know, trying to do her best and not make any mistakes that day and kind of asks Marilla, you know, if, if she's sorry that she kept her. And, you know, as only Marilla can, she says, you know, no, I'm not sorry, kind of almost brusquely, you know, and, um, but it said she's thinking to herself she doesn't know how she could have lived without her like how how did how was what was green gables like before Anne came and you just see that little glimpse so in that chapter i was able to work off that and just you know those times when we have felt like we we don't belong and we've lived in that that kind of orphan state in some way and then when we do belong and in terms of faith you know belonging to you know the part being part of god's family and how that's so different and how one year at Green Gables, Anne went from being, you know, Anne of nowhere in particular to being Anne of Green Gables and what a difference that is. And, and for me, with my faith, I've noticed over the years, 
I, I'm growing into that, you know, to realize what it's like to kind of walk through life on my own and try to do it myself versus, oh, I, God is with me and I can walk with him through this life and belonging, that sense of belonging that we really long for came across in that chapter. So, you know, the haunted wood is a great picture of just a, an imagination gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. But at the core of it, we're seeing, you know, it, Green Gables is Anne's world now. She's no longer a foreigner there. That's where she lives. It's her home and she belongs there. Mm, um, yeah. And actually, as you speak to it, it occurs to me relationally, I think something we don't get in the adaptations, like the serial and with an E is there's so, so much content. So you're in Avonlea for a long time. In the movies, they do these montages of seasons, right? Which yeah. gives the viewer this kind of space of time. What we realized, what I realized in rereading this the book this past summer was how quick it was for um, Matthew Marilla and then Marilla and Matthew, but then just Marilla, how quick it was before she's gone, right? Before she she's a, a young adult and moves off into the world, how yeah. fast that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure some days it felt long to her, but you know, <laughs> it, it's in the book that that's a, it's a, um, it's a much more crisis oriented kind of move than it mm. is I think, in the film. So yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's, um, let's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Rachel. Oh, I, was saying, I, I said there were two, so I'll just quickly. The, oh, yeah, other, of course, yeah. the other one was when Miss Stacy takes over the Avonlea school and it's wonderful book uh, chapter. There's tons of great things that happen, but I was going, what's the spiritual connection. And that one, when it clicked for me was so fun because uh, that chapter, I kind of talk about, um, our schoolhouse of faith. And that work, that line kind of came to me and I had this picture of, you know, how do we flourish best in our spiritual, you know, side of our lives? How do we flourish in our faith? And so, you know, when Miss Stacy comes, it says that Anne expands like a flower under her influence. And so um, I was able to look at those insights and just see, you know, what does the schoolhouse of faith look like for each of us? And, you know, who are our teachers? How do we learn? Who are our mentors? We read, we study, we reason, you know, we might partake in you know, spiritual disciplines. And I just like the idea of how things says that work in Miss Stacy's little kingdom went on regularly and with smoothness and with regularity and smoothness. And I thought that's a wonderful picture of, you know, when we're, when we're kind of investing in those things that really can, you know, help us bloom and flourish versus when we're so distracted by the world and life and all this other things, you know, that we don't, <laughs> you know, our little kingdom isn't necessarily as regular and smooth as we'd like it to be. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. But the forward motion, the connection of those two is a good one like that. The mm -hmm. gospel phrase, you know, he grew in uh, wisdom and stature, right? That Ooh, the connection yeah. of those, those two things together that are woven. I like that. Yeah. They're woven in. Mm. Yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. So let's, let's do, you ready for a flash round? Are you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So these are, <laughs> these are, these are, are not terribly on, uh, the ponderables that Captain Jim talks about, but these are sort of the early questions from Captain's Jim Parlor. So what I want you to do is just answer them automatically as quickly as you can. You don't have to think a lot about them. Most of them are really aren't worth thinking that much about. Okay. So, uh, but but I'll uh, uh, but it can be fun for listeners. Okay. So you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. All right. Coffee or tea? Tea. Mm, that's right. I've got tea brewed myself. I'm a, I'm a coffee guy. October's or April's? Oh, 
Octobers. I was born in October, so you know. Yeah, yeah me too. I'd want to well, live in a world without Octobers. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the line. But although the, the the more October birthdays I have, the less I seem fond of Octobers in particular. I'm not sure why. That's so, true. Yeah. Yeah, it's something <laughs> haunting me, I guess. So, all right. Uh, raspberry cordial or red currant wine? Oh, I think raspberry cordial. I've actually never had any. I've meant to try it someday to make it out of the recipe book. <laughs> but it no, sounds I'm, great. <laughs> I'm not sure it exists. We have some local stuff that we kind of sell to tourists, but I'm not sure that it was terribly, uh, terribly consistent with the story. Oh, one. funny. Yeah. So it has a nice little picture, though. On it. So, so thinking of any book, any time and place, any book at all, what book would you tell listeners to drop everything and go read? So this is they should pull the car over at the side of the road. They should leave work, leave their jobs and lives behind. You know, uh, they should like put their groceries in the cart and then walk out of the store. What book should they read? Oh my goodness. Other this is not Anna not Anna Green Gables. Yeah, <laughs> They've already read I'm, Anna Green Gables. Oh gosh. Oh, I'm gonna have to just go with Pride and Prejudice if yeah, you haven't sure. read it, because so many people have seen the movie and then they confess, well, I haven't actually read the book, and you have to read the book. Yeah, it's a it's a gorgeous book. It's, it's incredible. It's it's ah. it's another one that's hard to put down. I mean, it really it seems. I think people are overwhelmed because it's a little long and all of that, but it's great. It's a little long for our generation. I'm a boy and I like it, right? So it's not even. Yeah, I was gonna say I grew up with my dad and my brother love it. So I think yeah. it's it's for everybody. And I think it's her. It's her. Uh, I don't know if it's her best literary literarily, but I think it's close. Right. And it's I think her. Uh, certainly the most welcome way into her work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Emma's saucy, but takes more work to get <laughs> into, right? Um, I love Emma. <laughs> her flaws sit up up front. Uh, we, do, just watched, yeah. we just watched that, um, the new, the 2020 or 2019 um, version of Emma. So I'm still spinning oh, that in yes. my mind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, That's a little different, yeah. It is quite, it is, it is uh, quite different uh, in, in some ways, yeah. So, okay, so we're getting off, we're getting off on the flash round here. It's not very flash-like, not very lightning-like if we keep talking about stuff. Okay, if you were to have a non-traditional pet, what would you choose? A non-traditional pet? Hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll choose a goat. A goat. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And and takes care of the lawn too, right? Absolutely. Your yeah. Get some shirt. work and they're cute. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anything that you need, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Choose one here. So a day at the beach, a walk in the woods, or an afternoon in the library. Oh, can I do all three in one day? <laughs> good day. It'd be a good I'm day. In California, you can go from the beach to the mountains in one day in California and like read on the way there, right? Yeah. yeah uh, cool, let's yeah. see. Gosh, I guess, you know, at my heart of hearts is probably a day in the library. That's where I usually end up at the end of each day or at some point each day. There you go. Good stuff. I was, yeah. Okay. Well, I think in the end, we'll end up doing the day in the library um, any anyway, right? So, and it depends right. on the time of year. The walk on the beach is not awesome here in Prince Edward Island in winter unless you're kind of ready for it. So if you're Ooh, ready for it, it's true. All right. So I was recently asked uh, what Disney princess I was. Right. Oh. So um, and I thought that was an interesting question for someone to ask me. And then they kind of like laughed at themselves. So <laughs> what with uh, so going more broadly, what what superhero are you? Oh, superhero. Um, I've always wanted to be Wonder Woman. 
I just mm. love her. Grew up thinking it was so cool that, you know, in the in the show, there was a show like in the 80s where they she would spin around and she'd be in her business outfit. And the next thing you know, she's in her amazing, you know, she has her lasso and all of her boots and all that ready to go. So yeah. um, I think especially as a young girl, I was really drawn to that, you know, powerful woman kind of thing. I thought that was cool that a girl could be a super superhero. So I'll go with that. Yeah. And what, what Montgomery uh, heroine would you want to be? Well, I just... It, maybe it's lame, but Anne, because I just relate to her so, so well. Um, I just kind of feel like Anne on the inside, I guess, guess if that makes sense in some ways. But I, Emily is a close second. Really so Emily, like but she's got a hard go ahead. Emily has yeah. um, is sort of the beginning of the 20th century uh, tortured artist soul, right? So Yeah, I was going to say, I, re I think I relate to her a bit because, you know, that writer side of her that's just dying to come out and the mentor she had that's, you know, sometimes they're harsh, but they're good. You know, I've definitely experienced that. Good stuff. And is there a book, so like moving kind of beyond sort of these, the, the main Austin and Montgomery books, is there a book, um, nonfiction or fiction or whatever, has been really kind of influential to you as an artist or as an author? Hmm. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I would say not. Do you are you talking nonfiction or fiction? Whatever you want. I think uh, our influences come in all kinds of ways. Yeah, I I would say I think that um, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien are huge for me because I love that. I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of fiction and nonfiction, and I'm I'm really been impacted by both, and it in some ways, you know, not that I ever could, but there's a tiny part of me that kind of is inspired as a writer by that. Um, because especially his fiction, I've always been amazed by his ability to, uh, take us into a fictional world, but then teach us things about our faith and about God and the Bible in such a natural way. So I think, um, you know, even writing these devotionals where I'm kind of writing at the intersection of faith and literature, I, I hope I'm finding a little bit of a niche there in the same way that I could, you know, draw people in with story and then and stay for a while to talk about faith. Hmm. Yeah. Well, those are two certainly um, of the, the, the great minds or the great, the great beings of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Right. So <laughs> I, uh, I was curious, they seem so far away from Montgomery and Austin in their uh, mm -hmm. non-realism, but I think there's actually kind of, um, they share the fairylands, at least with the Montgomery in connection, I think. So Yes, I think so. So good. Well, coming back into sort of a, I have a couple more questions here for you, Rachel. I'm curious about this. Uh, we've talked about the spiritual content. Obviously, it's a devotional. Uh, and um, I don't know. There's been some other things like this for Montgomery. But what I have been surprised about as a scholar of religion, as a scholar of spirituality, I've been surprised at how... Uh, how little conversation has actually been had about that, particularly since she was, you know, a minister's wife, a Sunday school teacher, uh, and like obviously her characters are kind of going through this particular kind of journey. But your your language is different. We're a century on perspectives different. So tell me about that kind of bridging of those worlds, your 21st century world, your particular faith perspective, and what kind of Montgomery's own world, what she was doing. Can you talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that for us? Yeah, I think, you know, in so, so many ways, you know, my world <laughs> and every, it's so different from Montgomery's world, obviously. 
Um, but I think in other ways, I've I've never felt more uh, close to a fictional character than I do Anne probably. And so I think that really helped me mm-hmm. um, to deal, with, you know, helped me a great deal because Anne is so relatable to everyone, you know, even a century later, <laughs> Anne's story translates so well. And so I think that helped that I was focused a lot on Anne's particular story. You know, obviously I am a devotional writer, so I kind of write in the, that language, um, but I try to write in the language of that's common to devotional readers and to literature lovers and people who recognize um, and love Montgomery. Um, and so, you know, for me, that that was such a wonderful intersection to be able to look at Montgomery's work from, you know, a century ago and also be able to apply it to life today. You know, so much of what Anne goes through is very common to us today. You know, her, not only her, you know, fictional, it's a fictional journey, but her fictional, uh, her journey, her faith journey, you know, she learns to pray. She goes to church for the first time. She finds a spiritual mentor in Mrs. Allen and, you know, all of these wonderful moments that happen for her, but also so many great, just moral lessons, spiritual lessons that can be gleaned, you know, from the book. I mean, think about forgiveness, (laughs) (laughs) that is so, so relatable to all of us. You know, Anne has a very hard time and we could even argue maybe for good reason. She has a hard time forgiving Gilbert. It takes her five, five years. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, in my book, I talk about the reality of that and you know, that it is sometimes we get hurt deeply by people, you know, someone hits a, hits that little part of us that, you know, is, they don't realize maybe how much they've hurt us because it's such a sensitive spot or a kind of trigger point for us. And, you know, that we, how do we deal with those things? What do we do with, you know, unforgiveness that can turn into kind of a a pride or a bitterness even at times. Um, And then I looked at the other side of it as well, though, what are we missing out on? You know, Anne misses out on five years of friendship with Gilbert because she just can't let that go. So there's, I, I think there's a lot that can translate from, you know, that story to our everyday lives. Mm, yeah. So the character of Anne grounds, grounds us between that generation and ours. That world. I think so. Yeah, I nice. think so. I mean, cause even my daughter, you know, she's 13 and she's reading, has read all the Anne books and she's just in love with Anne. And she's, I just feel like I know her. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the genius of Montgomery's writing, you know, that we can feel like I know this girl. It's not this old fashioned thing that I can't relate to. It's I get her, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, and I think, I think the characters have to, have to drive though. I mean, that's like, you know, Harry Potter, maybe the biggest phenomenon of the last generation is mm-hmm. rooted in the, in the characters, right. You know, yeah. and challenging as they might be or imperfect as they are, you know, sure. that's where we have to root ourselves. Can I ask what your daughter thought of the, did she see any of the end of, with an E-series? No, <laughs> we haven't watched any of that series. She has seen the uh, first of the Kevin Sullivan movies, the 1985 right, sure. um, versions. And, but the funny story with that is that she loved the first movie, even though some of it's a little bit different. Sure. But then we went to the sequel and, you know, she's read the whole series multiple yeah. times now and she enjoyed it, but it was fun to listen to her go through. I mean, it was like we had to pause every few minutes. Okay, that is not what happened. So-and-so said that, not so-and-so. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It yeah. was great. I'm going, okay, you know the books. 
It certainly um, is a, yeah, the sequels and to draw from, it's an unusual book to draw from, right? The end, Anna Whitney mm-hmm. Poplar is as, but not the whole thing, right? There's hints of right. Island Just and, portions of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's an unusual, I guess it's the character, um, the characters that they're really drawing from and some of those experiences that they're trying to capture, I guess. So, um, right. yeah, no, it, it's an unusual, it, it is an unusual uh, uh, sequel. And then the third, third one, which I don't think our family has watched the, the war one. I don't know that we've yes. seen that in, in a while. So, yeah, I posted about that one. I haven't seen it since I think it first came out and I, honestly don't know if I finished it. It was a bit difficult to, to watch as a, you know, avid and fan, um, just because of the, you know, the storylines and all that. And uh, I, so I posted about it online a few weeks ago and asked what people thought, you know, oh, it yeah. was great. So much interaction, you know, I'm some good. people that say, you know, you can watch it just as you have to watch it as you're just in that world. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a spinoff, you know, yeah, all of that. A, and others who are yeah. just going, no, this is not canon. <laughs> so yeah, it was it's pretty a, fun. It's, not canon. it's a, it's a war film. Um, but yeah. we also now have a number of books, you know, Morella of Green Gables mm-hmm. and Maud and, and uh, yeah. before, before Green Gables and I like a number of these texts that that kind of expand mm-hmm. that world out right so and yeah you know in all adaptations or like the um the Prince of Rhode Island adaptation of Emily of New Moon for example is quite yeah it's any serial is going to have to really find new material going to have to sure of course yeah and I actually really enjoy that type of thing I think it's really fun to explore yeah yeah absolutely um I still like it rooted in the characters that's for me where the story starts mm-hmm. yeah even if it's a completely new context. So, yeah. Right. So do you have like, what's on your desk? Do you have something else that you're working on right now? I do. I'm actually finishing up another devotional book. Uh, It's based on another wonderful classic. I can't divulge quite yet (laughs) what it is. (laughs) The announcement is coming soon, uh, but it'll be coming out at the end of this year in time for Christmas 2021. Okay, good. Excellent. Good. Is um, Well, I think if people see this pattern, then I think they'll understand the kind of thing that you're doing then, right? Yeah, I'm working with the same publisher and working on a, um, so even looks like we'll be working on illustrations again. So I think it'll, I think it'll be really lovely. Well, yeah, as a, as a, like a, a project to hold it it's a it's a pretty piece so, so mm-hmm. well, thank you yeah okay well thanks so much uh rachel for joining us here in the modcast mm-hmm. i've had a great time thank you for having me excellent yeah now folks as always you can check out the work of the ellen montgomery institute at ellenmontgomery.ca including interactive features guest blogs news about conferences and calls for papers uh, the newest release of the journal of ellen montgomery studies and links to other kinds of digital resources like our beautiful online repository kindred spaces if you enjoyed the modcast and want others to enjoy it as well please share on social media and give us a rating it really does help spread the news and helps get the word out about this innovative research and these new readings and in our show notes make sure you can check out the work of rachel dodge and connections to her social media connections as well I am your host, Brenton Dickerson, and I'm here with technical director, behind the scenes, Christy McKinney. Until next time, let's remember that note from earlier, Anne's personal statement of identity in the novel. It's a million times nicer to be Anne of Green Gables than Anne of Nowhere in particular, isn't it? From Brenton on Green Street, to you Modcast listeners throughout the world, farewell. Farewell.